Hello and welcome. Oh, wait, I don't normally say that before the credits. That's because this episode has a couple of notes at the beginning that I wanted to get out of the way. It's Doctor Who season, and of course, we typically run through 12 weeks of Doctor Who, postponing all our other uh, episodes, Kolchak, um, Blake 7, Space 1999, and actually we have a lot of those in the can, and um, we're going to push these Doctor Who episodes uh, a little forward in the week, so we normally release on Monday, but we normally also record on Monday, so Doctor Who Eros on Saturday, and we record on Monday, which means that we can't get the episode out for this week's Doctor Who. So I'm going to try to push these towards maybe Wednesday or Thursday of each week during Doctor Who season. And what that also means is that I may toss out one or two of the other episodes that we have waiting um, just, you know, to keep those moving along. So that's disclaimer number one, in case you're wondering why this showed up early in the week on your podcatcher. The second one is, during the course of this episode, I believe both Ben and I call this the Victorian era, and that's completely wrong. Queen Victoria didn't come into uh, power until 1837. This is set in 1814. That's the Regency era. Uh, That's just for whoever was going to write in and say, get your English history straight. Look, we got enough stuff we can screw up about English history because we never study it in school uh, as it is. But let's not get that one wrong. And now, on with the show. We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Ben. And tonight we're looking at the third episode of Series 10, Doctor Who. New series, obviously not Series 10 old series, but new series. The current series that's current when... We're recording this, which is 2017. And oh, the words get on with it are just screaming in my head. (laughs) And the episode name made me forget. It's Thin Ice by Sarah Dullard. The TARDIS is being naughty. She has brought the Doctor and Bill to February 4th, 1814, the Thames River, the last day of the last great frost fair. It's not long before Bill notices something weird beneath the ice. She and the Doctor go to work. Lights under the ice seem to be eating people. They investigate with the help of some street urchins living rough. When they explore under the ice, they find a massive creature chained to the bottom. At the other end, dredgers are harvesting the creature's excrement and turning it into a superfuel for Lord Sutcliffe's mills. Sutcliffe's family have been harvesting the material for generations, and without an ounce of human compassion, he has been arranging the frost fairs to feed more people. To the creature. With the doctor onto him, he decides to blow up the ice and the doctor and Bill and give the creature a feast from the revelers at the fair. But the doctor has other ideas. Okay, Sarah, Sarah Dollard, uh, face the raven. Hmm. So last, last time we had uh, Frank Cottrell Boyce, uh, uh, perpetrator of 
in the forest of the night, and this time Sarah Dullard, perpetrator of Face the Raven, which my recollection was not too good on it. But now I'm I'm kind of vaguely wondering if my recollection of Face the Raven was so negative because subsequently it turned out they hadn't really killed Clara off. And so they kind of retconned that story, and, and that's all that I remember is leaving that bad taste in my mouth. Like, ugh, they really didn't kill her kind of thing. Um, mm. Do you remember? Did you like Face the Raven? No, I didn't. I, in fact, I did not. The only – I didn't like any of the episodes last year. None of them? Well, I'm not going to um, I'm not going to try to no. name through them. Uh, on, you must have liked that sleep one or whatever. No, <laughs> okay, no, I'm no I, did, I did not like any of them. Mm. I disliked every single Doctor Who episode. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I did. I don't think I don't remember one that I did enjoy. Hmm. Well, I don't remember enjoying Face the Raven, but that's like I said, it could be a retcon anyway. So Sarah Dollard has another bite at the apple here, just like Mr. Cottrell Boyce did last week. What do you think? Well, um, if okay, just as uh, last week's writer was able to redeem himself, I think Sarah was able to redeem herself, and now this season we are three for three. I would agree with that. We have uh, just some amazing uh, interplay between the Doctor and Bill. Uh-huh. And Pete. Let's not forget Pete. And is that – and I'm not trying to uh, uh, take away from the writer at all. I'm not, not at all. Um, but it does seem to be the common theme from episode to episode. And I wonder how much hand Moffat has in that. Because, you know, the voice from one writer to the next usually seems to be – a bit different, and um, it mm-hmm. hasn't been this year. It's been very consistent. Very, yeah, very much the same. Which, awesome. <laughs> well, I'm not complaining. I'm, I mean, when we finished watching this episode on Saturday, I turned to Keith and said, what did you think about it? And he's like, well, I liked it a lot. And I, I said, it had me too. Elephant. It had elephant in it, which is always Well, fun. but that was, I was I was chatting with a friend of mine who, who lives in, in, um, in England, and he actually researched uh, the last great, thing. yeah, the, the the ice fairs or the frost fairs, whatever they call it. Th- those were real things, and right. and that that particular one in 1914 was the 18, year 18, 1814. Yeah, I mean there was really an elephant. Yeah, that that was a that was a thing. Uh, it was the ice was strong enough for an elephant to walk on. That's one of the one of the images that's been left behind in the the popular culture, if you will, or the or the the cultural milieu. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't have sworn that the elephant was the 1814 Frost Fair, but um, they had them going back into the 1660s. So that's how long the Frost Fairs lasted. Mm-hmm. From 1660s to 1814, the last Frost Fair. So, indeed, February 4th, 1814 was the last of the last. And we talked about that a little bit, although I think I mistakenly call them ice fairs. But, yeah, it was it was a thing there, and it was a thing for a lot longer than I thought it was. So mm-hmm. it was an interesting place to go to. Oh, no, unquestionably, and it was obviously very, very popular. I, you know, the story is kind of, I don't want to say it's light, but, because we keep saying that week after week now. The story is a bit light, but, again, this one did have a little bit more mystery to it and a little bit more but it doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense in the long run yeah but you again this and this goes yeah. back to what i said in last week's episode or in, in last week's show 
you know, you look back at some of the classic Who, not all of it, but some no. of it was just uh, – it was you know, very light on plot, um, maybe a little weird, but what would save it would be the performances. Yeah, during, certainly, certainly during certain eras of the show. That's true. I just, you know, at some point have to look at the show and say, this is the show that gave us the Cybermen. And new Cybermen notwithstanding. But the notion of the original Mondasian and Telosian Cybermen, those are real technological fears. Uh, you know, it, we're oh, talking absolutely. the thing. So, I mean, we're, no, we're talking I, absolutely. They're terrifying. Um, yes. Ideas. And, well, and, and you, then you, you can go a little further back and even with the Daleks. Right. In the beginning, especially, uh, uh, I mean, we, we saw, you know, all I have to do is just look at or you know, read Doctor Who history and it come to understand what a cultural phenomenon the Daleks were when they were first introduced. And then uh, I, I think it was Terry Nation who did, oh, shoot, um, was it Dalek Invasion of Earth? Well, he did. That's when they invade. But but that's when they invade London, right? Yes. Yeah, you know, and that's not too far removed from World War II. Right. So uh, then, then to kind of use the Daleks as some sort of a, uh, a metaphor. Oh, yeah, they're definitely a Nazi think, metaphor. That's, oh, no, there's no question about it. Yeah. So to be able to, you know, take these, these science fiction constructs and uh, to then turn them around and use them as metaphors for, in the case of the Daleks, you know, the Nazis invading, you know, their blitz. And you know the Cybermen being you know like like zombies or Frankenstein type monsters. I mean, yeah, we had a lot of that. But you know later on, I mean, there were I wouldn't even say later on, but there were some there were some episodes that were just fluff. Mm-hmm. But what made them fun were the characterizations, you know, the 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 performances of Doctor and Companion. I right. mean, like to That's me, what I mean, I it. right. I mean, to me, I I find spearheads from space to be just loathsome but it's fun to watch john pertwee and liz shaw or, or you know uh, yeah uh, the doctor and liz shaw uh, going at it together so uh, there you have we have stories kind of similar to that in tone i mean i think the 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 MacGuffin, if you want to call it that is kind of growing in significance a little bit this one had more a little more significance than what we've had in the last one and and I would and I'll just I'll just jump right into this. Uh, this episode scared me at one point mm-hmm. because you had the young boy go through the ice and die. That and, that's, uh, uh, caused quite a lot of uh, 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 turmoil online. It did because they killed him. Uh, he's dead. Yeah, he's dead. Uh, we see Bill completely flip out. Yeah, and she's actually really just shocked at the doctor's apparent cold-heartedness in all of this. She doesn't fully understand what living over 2,000 years will do to you. She hasn't grasped that point, at least in terms of how it affects him. And all she sees is that this man who does not appear to care. And the first thought that ran through my head was, oh my God, please don't tell me we're going to start going back to this whole are you a good man thing. Because I, I, I just I just don't want to revisit that at all. And then for... Uh, the the writer Sarah to just turn it around and then have the doctor deliver what was a fabulous speech that is really reminiscent of the um, 
the the Zygon episode. Are you talking about his uh, worth of a species? Yeah. Speech later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the episode, not his one to talk uh, talk Bill out of her funk. No, yeah. no, no, no. The the w- yeah. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna quote the thing here, just for the sake of because uh, I have it. Uh, human progress isn't measured by industry. It's measured by the value you place on a life, an unimportant life, a life without privilege. The boy who died on the river, that boy's value is your value. That's what defines an age. That's what defines a species. Mm-hmm. It's a fabulous speech. And uh, the Twitter comments and the Facebook comments, I mean, every, I mean, even critics were going ape in in support of that beautiful speech. I mean, it's not very long, but it's just so powerful. Do you know what? And and, and I was going to say, that, and that's that's the moment that I think Bill does her turnaround, and then realize, you know, do you have to be two thousand years old to make a speech like that? Because you know, it's worth the wait. That was that was a far better line than the speech in my mind. It was a, her, her her response was her fantastic. Response, how long? You know, are you really two thousand years old? Um, to me that I was, and I don't want to say I'm, I was unimpressed because that, that's not the case. The speech was a good one. It was a short, her response is better, but Lord Sutcliffe's response to it. And I realized he was being somewhat sarcastic, but about the vocabulary and the meter and the time. It's like, yeah, that's just BS. It's not that good. I mean, it's good, but it's, it's not that good. And you know, it, it's well, not, not a, it's not a jaw dropper like the Zygon speech was, and uh, so, but it was profound, and it, it wasn't. Well, it's profound it in terms of how we we now are peeling back yet another layer of the Doctor, mm-hmm. and we're seeing uh, our response is the same as Bill's because now it, it, it's it's almost like we're seeing a, a sense of vulnerability. In the doctor for him to say something like that. I mean, it is a profound statement, but to hear that come from this doctor was just gave it additional significance, you know, uh, almost almost additional gravitas, and that's what makes her response even that more wonderful. That was very solid in that dialogue between the doctor and Bill, and that back and forth, which is what what stands the episode out over the five-mile-long fishy thing at the bottom mm-hmm. of the Thames. Yeah. That one is, that one is for me, is on par with we've drilled a hole to the center of the earth. Oh, I know. You know? Yeah. I, I, it's not, I don't, it's not, well, well maybe well, some see, people would say, but it, it, in my opinion, it is not wrong of me to want both. <laughs> well, I to, think you know, take a stab at it and not have to have the actors save it, right? Uh, I think, but the, and again, what we're seeing now is we're it, it seems to be a bit of a return to um, it's it's not sci-fi anymore. It's it, uh, you know, Tom Baker called it a sci fantasy because it, it there's nothing really hard sci-fi about it. You know, maybe Moffat learned a lesson. Maybe he did because he tried to play in the sci-fi box for a time and it just sucked horribly. So maybe he's like, you know, maybe we need to kind of just think about doing light type stories, fantastic kind of stories that really don't have much scientific basis behind them, but just serve as as, as a really great 
plot device to help bring the doctor and his companion into the situation. Yeah, I think that's what we've got going here. I mean, they're outrageous, but weren't a lot of the stories from the classic era outrageous as well? I mean, some of them were really good scientific stories, but a lot of others were just ridiculous, but uh, also fun. But again, the fun saves it from the ridiculous. Well, that's but yes, yeah. exactly. That that's the whole point. Right. The fun so does save it. I mean, if if it weren't fun, then it would just stink. But you've got the ridiculous storyline, but it's the the performances that make you kind of walk away saying, "Gee, I really enjoyed that." Uh, a really good actor could read the phone book and make it interesting. True. Um, but I would be upset at the writer for handing in a phone book. But anyway, obviously this is the first time Bill has, has gone back into her own history. And so we get the, oh, I am so, so sick of the butterfly effect metaphor. Um, I understand it. It's on the, it's, you know, it's in the zeitgeist. So therefore, obviously that's exactly what anybody probably would do. So it is realistic and I'm not complaining it on it. I'm, I'm not, level, yeah, right. I'm not either. But, I'm not either. In fact, go ahead. You know, it, it just is like, Oh, look, the butterfly effect. It, it makes sense of her to think of it. And, and so it does. I'm, that's, that's exactly what I was going to say. It makes perfect sense for her to think of it because she's really, she's, she's probably new. the most, well, she's new, but she's also, she's terribly smart, much smarter than, uh, I think, you know, any of us gave her credit for, before we uh, even started this series, she's a lot more clever. She's she's a fan of science fiction, and she's smart enough that with the doctor's tutorage, she can do better. She can do ninety seven percent on her advanced physics courses. Right, so, you know that that's not just the doctor filling in the answers for her. No, that's she's the she's smart. Teaching her, she must be. That's right. She has the intelligence, and she's very grounded in, in so many ways that she already has a basic understanding. You know, we, we see evidence of that in every episode up to this point where depending on the situation that she's in, she's able to make a really good you know, uh, observation about the circumstances. You know, okay, like in the pilot, you know, you got all that water and, you know, the doctor says, we're safe in here. And she says, is this made of wood? I mean, it, it's a very sarcastic kind of statement, but she's like, uh, doctor, this is made of wood. I mean, she has no concept that she's in a TARDIS yet, but she's maybe she's stating the obvious, but sometimes the obvious needs to be stated. And she does a bloody good job of it, too. Mm-hmm. I think the doctor's comeback about Pete, though, was, was brilliant. Whoever came up with that bit of dialogue was, you know, it'd be nice if he'd named him Rory. But, uh, <laughs> that's what Rory said. Who? See, now I wonder how that would have worked. So Pete, as far as I know, there's never been a companion or a person named Pete in the TARDIS. I'm not aware of one. So when he says, that's what Pete says, your friend Pete disappeared. Nobody out there can go, oh, yeah, remember Pete from Series 3 with the Hartnell and da-da-da-da-da-da? If he'd said Rory, who we know that has happened to, Mm -hmm. I think more than once, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, yeah, actually. Existence once. Once, yeah, with with the Silurians. Yeah. Um, Then that would have probably confused people because then they would have been reading something into it. Yeah, I just took it, I I, I just took it too as the doctor. He's, uh, he's He's just uh, yanking her chain. Yeah, absolutely. He's joshing her in a big way. 
you know, especially when he comes back, you know, she says, you know, she, she mentions Pete's name and he's like, who's Pete? You know, I was like, he's, he's messing with her. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. He was messing with her. That's what I mean. Let's talk about the boy gets killed. And for some reason, his arm is hanging up so that he can be hanging on to the sonic screwdriver. I will say this. Capaldi's actions when he grabbed the screwdriver was back to series eight indifference there. And I'm not faulting him on it. I think it was, it was a, a, a much better way to show his alienness than the overt way they tried to do it in series eight. But, you know, he's just, he's completely, in a, totally ignoring it that the kid is dead. Bill is, you know, I would say ashen face, but you know, she's, she's shocked and, and he, the doctor is just, you know, polishing the screwdriver and making sure it's okay while uh-huh. everyone is standing around and completely oblivious. I mean, just just wonderfully oblivious to what uh, to what happened there or to what the, the people around are feeling. As Nardole said, he never notices the tears. Uh, right. But when Bill runs off and the doctor comes up, finds her and, and they have their little heart to heart, you know. How many people have you seen die? And the doctor, mm, don't remember. It's a lot. And we know it's a lot. I mean, from just what we've seen of of the doctor's time. And, you know, we've not seen what happened mostly in the time war. Um, you know, there are centuries that are unaccounted for and now in the doctor's lifespan. And, you know, I wouldn't even want to hazard a guess as to how many people he's seen die. Oh man! Well, it, it yeah. There's whole there's worlds, no well know? whole worlds. Yeah. In fact, when, she, when the the first time she says, "Have you ever seen anybody die?" You know, one, two, three, and I'm thinking uh, a whole planet, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, billions. yeah, billions. billions. He has, and and clearly the show has uh, proven to us that there are a lot of stories that we have not seen. So you can only start to guess as to how many people have died in those never-before-seen stories that take place in between the ones that we do get to see. So she turns the question around, have you ever killed anybody? Uh, well, uh, so lots. How, I, I'm, let, let's just talk about the episodes that we've seen, the stories that we know. Oh, of. God, I'm going to lose count. Are you? I think because, I might. Because it's going to bend, uh, depend on your interpretation of that. How many people has the doctor actually pulled the trigger on and killed? I mean, he couldn't even wipe out the Daleks. Um, True. I, yeah, <laughs> he I, actually, killed a right. Cyberman. He, yeah, he's huh. killed a couple of Cybermen for real. Uh, Davison's pulled a gun and stuck it in the chest plate and fired it when they were trying to save Adric. Um, I think Colin Baker's doctor did something pretty horrific to a Cyberman in, in um, oh, what was it? Attack, Attack of the, the Cyberman. Cyberman. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, the, there have been cases where he has, he literally has gotten his hands dirty and killed. Them. Oh, well, Colin Baker killed, the way he killed Shockeye. Yes. And the he two killed Shockeye. That's right. He did. But, and then, uh, he kind but of, then there, yeah, there are others that are kind of like really stretching it. Uh, and he hasn't like, killed Gallifrey now, so no, the Gallifrey are back off the table. Yeah, yeah, that that didn't count. 
Uh, he sort of killed Queen Zanxia, but she was dying anyway in Pirate Planet, so that's a mercy death. He tried to. Did he actually do it or did the pirate captain do it? No, she killed the pirate captain. She, uh, she killed the pirate captain. Her avatar was destroyed, but her old body was still uh, existing in the, the, in, in the time dam. The failed. Yeah, and it wasn't until he uh, sabotaged well, actually, the plant. Well, he sabot- well, actually, it was the Mentiats that did it because they're the ones who pushed the plunger. See, he gets people to do it. Yeah, he gets people to do his dirty work, and that's <laughs> that's the thing that Davros always said that you you make you know, you're you know the Doctor's weaponize, army. You yeah. make people. Yeah, you weaponize them. You make them do your dirty work, and then you you know you walk away. So. Uh, but and when I say I'm, I, I would lose count, I'm not saying that uh, that he's done it that many times. I'm saying that there are just that many stories mm. that I would not be able to accurately count. Here, you know, I, it's not that many. I wouldn't. I would say I could probably count it on one hand. In, in in all honesty, when she kept pressing the question, you know, how many people have you seen? Have you killed? How many people have you seen killed? Um, there's a simple answer, and I know it's a bit of a cop-out, but it's a completely, completely honest answer. He should have responded with, I've been in wars. Yeah. Um, which, by definition, means you've certainly seen people killed and probably, he probably had killed. Kill. He probably killed, especially during uh, the Time War. He's even the Daleks up. Oh, yeah. He killed Daleks. There's no question. Again, to Bill's credit, she saw it. Not only did she she understand that you know the world is not black and white and you you can't you know there's gray areas which is what the doctor was trying to say but when the guy with the the uh, ship tattoo was killed I, there was a perfect example it is what they had to do they didn't exactly kill him but they he got killed sort of did because well, it, they allowed they took, it they, they took were, the they, sonic they, screwdriver yeah. and. That's what attracted him. And then the doctor, I guess the doctor told him how to stop it. Switch on the side. Guy didn't do it or he couldn't do it. Toss it here. Thing down. And, you know, it upset Bill. But I think I think that drove it home or it should have driven it home for her right there. It's like people will get killed from the results of the actions of what's happening here. Right. I, I think I think I think she got the point. Yeah. So hopefully we don't have to go through that again. That's, yeah. that's the nice thing is, you know, up to a point, but then – all right, fine. We're well. She well. At, well, as she says, you know, or you know, the one, the one little girl says, you know, you were fighting earlier, not fighting now, and you know, Bill says, I moved on. Of course, that's before the doctor gave his little speech. But at that point, she realized, you know, there, there, there was nothing to be gained by just hanging on to, to that, that anger. I think she, at that point, exactly. she even began to understand the nature. And you know, okay, well, this, this is an alien. Really, he thinks differently than I do. And he's lived 2,000 years, and I think that's, you know, as as you say, when she gets around to that comment later on, I think she realizes it's not just his alienness. It's, it's his experience. Age. Yeah. It's experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about, so what are we going to do? You're the boss. Your planet. Oh, your that's species. a nice callback. Um, you need to make me, you know, give me an order. What do we do? Is that's, that- a call- that's a callback. To ah, uh, I can't remember the name of the episode, but it's where destroy it turns the, the moon, moon destroy the moon. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's like, what, it's um, whatever the hell the title is, but that one, yeah. And uh, the doctor gives awful, that order to Clara. Awful episode. I I liked it. I liked that one. 
it's, uh, it's, because it kind of reminded kill me. Kill the moon. Kill the moon. That's the kill one. The yes. Uh, and but what's fascinating is the response was entirely different because he, uh, when he gave that same um, same request to Clara, she flipped. Well, and he, just, just, and he just said, "Now um, your decision. I'm walking out the door." Though, remember, he left her much. the captain and said, "You're the humans. Your planet. Your moon. Your decision. Goodbye." And he walked out and left it to him. That's what got her all pissed off. Same idea, same idea, but different execution. Yeah, true. And a, a big difference in the way the character is handled. Well, but I, I would also say that that's because the doctor. Hasn't had a better understanding of the situation uh, with Kill the Moon. That was something that they needed to do. Not only they needed to decide, but they needed to actually put into put into action. Uh, with with Thin Ice, there was no nothing in in action that that Bill could do. All she could simply do was make a request of the Doctor, which she did, and she was. But by the time it was all over, she was happy with it. She was thrilled that. The creature got away. Do you think that if Bill had not been there, let's say that the doctor was, um, all right, no, let's, let's broaden this question even more. Would the doctor have done anything at all if Bill hadn't been there? Because there's sort of this implied, when you come down to the point where this thing's been eating people, Lord Sutcliffe is being uh, horrible to them and uh, to, the, uh, to poor people uh, and... There's an indignity. He's recognizing it as an indignity. And yet he stops. And he goes, yeah, okay, I can't do this. Not unless you ask me to. Mm-hmm. Really? That's not really consistent with the way the doctor has behaved for 2,000 years. No. Um, wouldn't he, he would have had the compassion for the creature and let it go anyway. So I'm kind I don't of wondering think, why yeah, he I did don't, this. I don't I I don't buy what he said as being an absolute truth. I think he did that for Bill's behalf. It was, that was for her benefit. All right. Was it a, was it a test? I don't think it was a test. I don't think this is a pass fail sort of thing. I think he was just trying to give her a growing experience. Well, he does exemplify, uh, or he does uh, point out that he is her teacher, mm-hmm. and that he is. Telling her things because she told him you don't you don't get to tell me what to think. He said, "I'm a teacher. I'm I'm your teacher. I'm here to tell you things." And you know the 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 success of the success of his mentoring her as a companion would also be in her valuing of a life, true, teacher's life. True. And so true. this is an opportunity to show that he was right in picking her because if she'd said, "No, let it go." Or not, not let it go. If she said, no, it's got to be killed, I don't think the doctor would have done that. I don't think he would have carried through on that request. Right? I, oh, wow. <sighs> so he is being That's a little, a, he that, could be a little manipulative here. It, it might be manipulative, but I, I'd like to think that he would not have made that request to Bill had he not had the confidence that she would have made the right choice. I would agree with that. I, I will agree with that. I think... That's exactly, again, we're back to Bill seems to be someone that the doctor has singled out for her qualities and 
all of this is an opportunity to demonstrate that he is correct in mm-hmm. his in his uh, faith. His, ass- his assessment of her. Yeah. Oh, let's heck. Let's have a, a little fun with the the uh, the the, the uh, sea creature poo. No. Oh. <laughs> Bricks of stuff that burn a thousand times hotter than coal to keep and the longer. Mills- and longer to keep the mills going. Um, eighteen fourteen, the big steel mills. Did he say steel mills or did he just say mills? Do you remember? I thought he just said mills, but I could be wrong because I remember you. Now you just watched it again today, didn't you? I did. I, I only did, watched it. I, I, I only I watched it on Saturday. I haven't it seen it a second time. It didn't twig my mind until the end of the episode that that the major steel mills didn't come into go until. 1850-ish or something when they developed a, a good way to do this. Although, um, you know, we're looking, Britain is, of course, Britain is the home of the Industrial Revolution. And mm-hmm. the, the, the really the beginning of the Industrial Revolution was actually uh, cloth mills. Uh, so that could be what it was. Uh, I wasn't entirely sure that they were all like super coal powered, but what would what would his family have needed this for for generations as he put it what what were they getting from it well let's let's say a generation is 30 years back then uh so it's at least 90 120 years we're talking back and if we're if we're working on the frost fairs being indicative of the existence of this creature then we're going back into the 16 to the 17th century and um i cold coal wasn't burning coal wasn't that big of a thing going back quite that far i mean yes coal has been burned back to roman times but it wasn't the driver of the engine of industry until very near the time of this story and so like what what were they doing with it for generations prior to that hard to say but doctor who has not Always been very historically accurate. <laughs> but doggone it, this show was originally planned to teach kids history. <laughs> and and that back then Do you know what they could have you know what they could have done that would have been so cool in this episode? So when they let that massive creature, which appears to be I think they said five miles. Well, I think they said that. Well, we heard that. I don't know if that was just uh You a, saw a the fl- picture on the yeah, I, I, yeah, but again, that, that could have been just. I mean, we do know that it was very, very long because Bill makes that comment, We're and we do hear from, five miles yeah. long. It, I mean, it, it, may, it could have been just a mile long, and that's still long. Yeah, I mean, five miles, so. five miles yeah. is. You, they just say that, you know, because oh my god, that's like a billion miles long. You know, you just say that because you say it. But you know, we could measure that picture on the. Uh, on the TARDIS scanner if we really wanted to work out how long that creature was. That is and, true. Um, and she said, we are miles from the creature. And the doctor said, from the head of the creature. And, you know, the TARDIS scanner, it was, it, it's incredibly long. It's huge. It was huge. It was a massive creature. And as it was swimming out to sea, it had gotten past a bridge that was obviously too small for it to go uh-huh. Through. Plus, there would have been other bridges built over the top of it during that period of time while it was chained at the bottom of the Thames. True. Um, but what would have been cool was 
I did do a little research after our last uh, discussion about the Frost Fairs. 1814 was the last one because they tore down a bridge and they made a bigger one and they built the embankment, uh-huh. both of which basically changed the depth and possibly the speed it changed of the, the Thames. Yeah, it changed it, the flow of the Thames so that it made it harder for it to uh, – over. Exactly. Now, if that thing had wrecked that bridge on its way out so that they would have had to rebuild it so that that goes with the – I mean, it wouldn't be historically accurate. But, you know, uh, the whole premise of this episode is that uh, people forget these things and they just write a new narrative around it anyway. Nobody's going to – Oh, like, it, oh, like yeah. the Terralyptals and the Great Lo- Great Fire, Fire of London. Right. Exactly. Um that that would have been kind of that been kind of neat, but instead they make it so that it's the creature freezing the water, mm, which yeah, is kind well. of a strange. I don't know that I have any. Well, I have one other thing that I that I want to talk. Well, let's talk about the vault. Uh, that's the. That's, there's nothing really left except the there, vault. There is one other thing, but um, uh, which I sort of like. But anyway, the vault. It's got to be the master. That's my thought. It's got to be the master. It has to be the master, especially after you hear that th- the three knocks, da, da, boom, da, da. boom, boom. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I, I turned a key that said, it's the master. Somehow, John Sims is in there. Which would, yeah. <laughs> and if that's a Gallifreyan vault, which it certainly appears to it be. It definitely has Gallifreyan Somehow, the, the Time Lords, for some reason, they time-scooped him. They did something to yank him out of, out of his portion of the time stream. And stuck him in that vault for some god awful reason. Yeah, I mean, I, and and how else do you how is you how else are you going to explain the master and Missy coexisting when we get to that episode? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. Um, but yes, it it does seem like it's a big tip off that that's that. That's oh, it's such a tip off. And but he seems to be, all right. Whatever's in there seems to be agitated. And Nardole is attributing it to the fact that the Doctor is off being distracted. But the fact is, the Doctor was never off. He never left Earth. He never really left. I mean, nope. not only did he never leave, really leave, but with that whole time travel thing, he did arrive in time for the right tea. Right back, he got back in time for tea, yeah. So he was not being off. Not really away. Not really away. So, uh, but why would anything inside the vault have a clue about that either? Unless, Unless it could happen. hear Nardole. If you could hear Nardole just whining away about what the doctor is doing, mm. it's the only thing I can think of. Maybe, but he started knocking first, I thought. Uh, Nardole complaining about, well, nobody asked me, but it put me back together, blah, blah, blah. Um, but he didn't really talk about what the doctor was doing until true. the knocking started. But, and then he kind of spilled the beans. Well, he's got a new friend and he's off doing this. Okay, in that case. The one last thing, and I heard Moffat talking about it before, which is every time the man talks about something, it's like, oh, how are we going to screw this up? And I'm not sure he did, but at the same time, I want to ask the question. Mm -hmm. We have made comment, and if not between you and I, then certainly between I and Simon, that the BBC's policy of colorblind casting to the point of Friar oh, being yeah. black in Robin Hood, which just <laughs> didn't happen. Well, uh, yeah, we, we, you know, we, we, but, we talked about that, yeah. 
the fact that that Bill gets off the TARDIS and goes 1814 melanin melanin yeah this is dangerous for me she's right she's absolutely right she's absolutely right and if the doctor had said yeah don't worry about it get off the TARDIS do another thing and then end up in Lord Sutcliffe's place where he's obviously outraged by the fact that she's black because he says as much and pisses the doctor off and leads to the doctor punching him um that that they've brought the issue to light uh-huh. and pointed out that the world is not necessarily such a great place and that, you know, there's a lot of work to be done and that there was a lot of work there uh, and and is relevant. But to interject that in the middle where suddenly she's pointing out, boy, it's a whole lot darker than you normally see, you think of the Victorian times. And the doctor says, well, it's history's a whitewash, which is absolutely true. That is true. Is absolutely true. I'm still having a hard time believing that there are top-hatted and tailed gentlemen at the ice fair who were of darker complexion. That I have a uh, see. Yeah, the, that yeah, yeah. I have a hard time and with the kids that. And and the soldiers. Well, that's that's fine. All that stuff. It, it's like you know. Hey, there's a lot. The working more class. Than I thought. Yeah, the but labor class. I could of, see that. There were a couple of. High top hatted and hit. Tail. Yeah, I don't see that. And and if you're going to put them on the ice and say, you know, this can happen in Victorian London, fine. I mean, there's no big fish under the ocean under the Thames either. Then you can't have it both ways. You can't make the comment, <laughs> right? You, you're either colorblind or you're not colorblind. Exactly. And yeah, they tried to do both in this episode. It, it didn't bother me as much as I thought it would. The only thing that I can it, think of is until that Sutcliffe walked in the door and then pulled his racist comment. Yeah, it's, no, it's no. So, so wait a minute. You, is it a whitewash or not? Was it really yeah, the nasty place or not? Yeah, that's 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 a really 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 good point because either either history is whitewashing or it isn't. And Sutcliffe's behavior certainly seems to indicate that whitewashing was not taking place. Or you know that it was a, or maybe he's a nasty maybe he really British place and these people say, would not be uh, allowed <laughs> to be a top-headed gentleman. Well, I was also going to say that maybe whitewashing did take place, but Sutcliffe really is just a white bigoted pig. Well, he certainly is. <laughs> I mean, he is, but you know, much like today, the I, empire I, I, was I, built on on Britain being white. It's yes, that is pigs. true. It it was. Uh, we are civilizing the lesser peoples. That I mean, that was the the mantra as they took over the world. Yeah. I think the problem, though, is while it was a really bold move for them to introduce this idea, at the same time, it does kind of fly in the face of past episodes. And and again, even what they... ignoring Martha in Shakespeare's time. Oh, absolutely. That was a big one. In fact, yeah, they don't even discuss it. I think... I think- Shakespeare might have made some reference to to her complexion, but but not in not in a not in sort of any racial sort of way. No, I I hate to have to go back and watch that one, but no, I don't care to find out. Yeah. Anyway, but when Moffat was pointing it out at the beginning, you know, it's just very important, and and it, this was the point he was making. It's very important for us to make strides in our casting so that uh, we can show diversity. And that's – I was like, hmm, 
he's he's pushing something in this episode that wasn't what I was expecting, and it it kind of sent a mixed message to me. Well, it may not have been. It, it clearly was not executed as well as it should have been. And but then I, again, I kind of wonder if part of that wasn't because uh, they wanted to. I, you know, and I know. I, I kind of wonder if there wasn't an agenda here because the doctor has got one line in in all of this that really I'm sure would just completely flip out a lot of conservatives. And you know the oh the, the Jesus line the, the Jesus line. You know when he kind of says you know Jesus wasn't white and he's right Jesus wasn't. I mean, such a figure like that, considering the I've region. I've seen lots of pictures, and he's clearly blue-eyed. Blue-eyed, very light brown hair, and white skin. Mm-hmm. It's very clear. It's, it's everywhere. obvious. Yeah, absolutely. And yet you ask anthropologists, and they're going to tell you something different. Oh, those anthropologists. Oh, it's that bloody science. How dare they muddle with our history and what we know to be true? I tell you. <laughs> Science yeah. is evil. It's of the devil. Damn you, Mary Shelley. <laughs> uh, that's two shots at Mary Shelley today. I know. And, that's, and the second was a real rage. Well, we're, we're having Barbara Bain withdrawal. <laughs> Maybe that's it. I was just thinking that. I haven't had a Barbara Bain sting in a long time. So I guess I need to start blaming Mary Shelley for everything in Doctor Who at this point until, uh, until we can get back to 90, Space 1999. <laughs> so next week, Knock Knock, I believe, is the name of the episode and this one sounds like it's going to be pretty weighty uh very more scary well but also maybe a bit more substantial in terms of story that might have reverberations throughout the season i suppose i hadn't picked up on any of that but i'll take your word for it i haven't i don't know a whole lot about it so um uh, I, i i've seen the trailer and um, I think I think I read something about bugs, but apart from that, uh, no, I wasn't. Uh, which is fine. I don't. I don't need to know. I, well, true, and and to be honest, I hope it isn't. Uh, I kind of want to keep going the way we're going. I mean, I don't mind a story where there is uh, a, a really good, where it's more plot driven than character driven, so long as we get still some of the characterizations that we've been getting in the first three episodes because that's really just helped to make these so much more enjoyable. But I wouldn't mind seeing something that's very dramatic. It will actually be interesting to see Bill um, interacting with her peers and interacting with the Doctor. Hmm. Because obviously she's got uh, she's got an inside track on him. And... You know, obviously he can be a bit eccentric, so a bit, uh, yeah, a, a, a tad, a tad. Anyway, all right. Well, Ben, thank you for joining me. A pleasure. And listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. Cheers. Fusion Patrol is a Lone Locust production. Like us, please consider becoming our sponsor at Patreon.com/FusionPatrol. We'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Stop by and visit us at our website, FusionPatrol.com. Search for us on Facebook under Fusion Patrol. Check out our Twitter handle, at Fusion Patrol. Or just send us an email at feedback at FusionPatrol.com. 
please come join the conversation. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. Go away!